Well, what's up, Element Church? If you're new here, my name's Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element. Just so thankful that all of you are here with us today. That includes anybody who's joining us via video here in our building online through Facebook Live, or we have a brand new Live Church online platform. You can go to live.elementchurchwi.com. There's a great looking church online platform there. If you're using Facebook Live or our church online platform, click the share button and let other people know about what God's doing right here at Element Church. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series that I'm super excited about called Confessions of a Pastor. And so I thought on this Super Bowl weekend, we would all start by making a confession together. And so regardless of whether your team is in the Super Bowl or not, I want to gauge the room and see who we're going for here in the big game this afternoon. So let me hear it from those of you who are going for the foul. Falcons today, let me hear it. Yes. All right. And we are in God's house, so we will not mention the name of the other team. We'll just move right along. We don't want lightning to strike uh, here in the room today. It's kind of ironic, back in September, it was opening weekend of the NFL football season. We were doing a series called Don't Be a Fan, talking about being a follower of Jesus, not a fan. We had some bleachers up here on the platform for a set design. And on those bleachers, we had a single mannequin with, for some reason, a Falcons jersey on this mannequin. And so I was kind of opening my sermon. I was uh, talking about being a fan, and I was making fun of some other teams. We laughed about, you know, picking on some other teams. And then I said something about the Atlanta Falcons that I wanted to show here. So go ahead and check out this video. Like we are fickle fans. Like if you watch an NFL game today or just watch the games in general, every stadium in the NFL today, every stadium will be filled to the brim with fans. And their optimism is high. Every seat taken, every heart optimistic that this could be our year. But if you tune in to NFL games about six weeks from now, some of those same stadiums that were filled to capacity with ravenous fans will start to look more like our bleachers here with just one fan sitting in them. Which, by the way, I don't know why we gave our mannequin an Atlanta Falcons jersey, but it works out well because that's about how many fans they'll have at the end of the year in the stadium. (laughs) I got them all day long, folks. I got them. So if anyone would like uh, to hire me to speak disparaging remarks about your team next year, uh, I'm, uh, bids are open on that. You know, highest bidder will win. Uh, confessions of a pastor. You might be wondering what this sermon series is all about. Like, did he do something bad? Is he going to share some, you know, deepest, darkest secrets? Is this going to get really awkward? And no promises. I don't think it'll get awkward. Uh, but it is Element Church, and I am your pastor, so who knows what will happen. Uh, at the same time, it, it's more than just telling you some trivial things about me. That would be a waste of time. Things like, I don't like watermelon. I don't like s'mores. Um, I'm, I'm accused, I'm accused of not liking fried chicken, but that's not true. I love fried chicken as long as it's not on the bone, boneless fried chicken. I don't know if anybody's with me. My, my people are in the house today. Like chicken on the bone is like, mmm, veins and tendons, bring it on. You know, it's just disgusting. I know that makes me un-American. My wife tells me I'm not American, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. Here's why we're doing the series and where we are headed in this series. 
I know that sometimes pastors can be viewed as spiritual superstars who have it all figured out. And some of you are thinking, Jeff, trust me, we never thought that about you. But it's true, it's true that, that sometimes there are people who view leaders in ministry or other Christian role models as surely they don't deal with the same questions, struggles, and doubts that everyone else deals with as well. But it's not true. I found in my own life that the things I tend to struggle with or I see other leaders struggle with are the same things that everyone else struggles with as well. So today, confession number one is this. Some days I don't feel like a Christian. Some days, as a pastor, I don't feel like a Christian. Now, I know we have some people who are here in the service, or maybe you're, you're joining us online, and you would say, I'm not a Christian, so how does this relate to me? It's a great question, by the way. And if you're here today, and you are not a Christian, first off, let me say, we are so glad that you are here. There's no other place we'd rather you be than right here. And even if you never put your faith in Jesus, you're welcome here. I mean that. Second of all, I hope that you will see, as I kind of share some of my own struggles, I hope that you will see, regardless of what we say as Christians, because we're great at putting up a front, right, Christians? Regardless of what we say, we deal with very similar questions, struggles, and doubts that everyone struggles with. And if anyone tells you that you can't believe in God and have questions, struggles, and doubts, they don't represent the God that we believe in here at Element Church, okay? At the same time, though, while we do come to points in our lives where we deal with these questions, struggles, and doubts, we also believe the answer to overcoming those things is Jesus. Amen, Christians in the room? That they might rear their ugly head more often than we would like, but by the power of Jesus and the resurrection from the dead, we can overcome those things in our lives. And that's what I want to focus on in the series. It's not just our struggles, but how do we overcome those in our lives? So weird transition here, but hang with me. I think it'll make sense in, in the end. This summer, I'm excited. My wife and I will be celebrating 15 great years of marriage. Isn't that awesome? 15 years? Yep. We're actually, we'll actually be married for 20 years, but 15 have been great. So that's awesome. I warned her I was saying that. She was okay with that. We're, we're celebrating 20 years of marriage on June 21st. So June 21st, 1997, Sabrina Lauren Akers married Jeffrey Grant Manis, and our wedding day was awesome. It was awesome. Got some pictures of our wedding. Here's uh, us on our wedding day. Uh, my wife has not changed one bit. I just traded hair on my head for hair on my face. That's what happened for me. Uh, here's us on the way out after we were married going down the aisle. Our faces say it all. Like Sabrina's face says, I'm terrified. What in the world did I do? Uh, my face says, I just figured out how long it takes to get to the hotel. So that's what my face says. <laughs> Confessions of a pastor, just saying. Breaking some land speed records, let me tell you. Maybe it will be get awkward, I don't know. So the joy, the celebration, the happiness, hopefully on your wedding day it was the same. You're going to want to bottle that up and keep that feeling with you for the rest of your life. Because on your wedding day, you feel married. It's official. 
Like typically, you know, the dad or someone gives the bride away and the the pastor walks you through the vows. You share your first kiss together as a married couple. You sign the papers. Typically, the bride will, will change her name. You feel married on your wedding day, but not every day of marriage feels like your wedding day, does it? Hasn't for me. Like you don't always feel married every day, right? But just because you don't feel married doesn't mean you're not married. And the same is true in our faith, okay? This is where how it ties in. So there's some mornings that I wake up personally, and I don't feel like a Christian, Maybe I was tired from a bad night's sleep or had a really long day the previous day, but there's some mornings I wake up, wake up and I don't want to read my Bible. I don't, I don't feel like spending time with God. There's days where I say things I regret. I do things I wish I wouldn't have done. I don't feel like a Christian. I've had times in my life where sorrow and grief was so overwhelming That feeling like a Christian or feeling the presence of God seems like a distant memory. So there's sometimes I don't feel like a Christian. That's why, though, we have to remember this. It's our big idea for today. It's been encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging for you as well. It's on the screens if you want to write it down, and it's this. My faith is not based on how I feel, but on what the Father says about me. My faith isn't based on feelings. My feelings go up and down. It's based on what God, the Father, has said about me, one of his children. So that when my feelings get out of whack, which happens, right? I have to go back to what my spiritual father says about me. I do this in my own life. This is actually what I do to overcome these feelings. In fact, this last Wednesday, Wednesday of this last week, I woke up in the morning. I usually do my morning Bible and prayer routine, spend time with God, even though sometimes I don't want to. I woke up and I knew this was the message I was preaching on, but I just felt, I wrote down in my journal, I'm a journaling guy, I actually wrote down in my journal before I started reading my Bible, God, I don't feel like a Christian today. I just don't feel it. And so what did I do? I went back and looked at, God, what do you say about me in the scripture? As one of your kids, what do you say? I told my wife, I need to stop preaching on subjects that are difficult because I'm always tested on them. I'm going to start preaching on God just make me happy, wealthy, and healthy, and that will be awesome because then I'll just, you know, just bring it all. I I can deal with that, God. I can't deal with these other things, and uh, that was for a special friend I have in the service today. So big question today. If, If focusing on the Father's voice is what I need to do, here's the big question. What does the Father say about me? What's the Father say about me? If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is a letter that's in the New Testament portion of the Bible. So Matthew through Revelation is the New Testament in the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It's all going to be on the screens. If you don't own your own Bible, please don't leave without one. Man, we'll give you one for free out at guest services. Ask one of our volunteers there. We'll get you a Bible. And this was super cool to me. I did not know this until I studied for this passage, for this uh, uh, message. But Ephesians is a letter that was originally written, I knew it was a letter, but it was originally written, this is what I did not know, to non-Jewish Christians, so people who weren't Jewish by birth but believers in Jesus, they were non-Jewish Christians in an area of the town of Ephesus, why it's called Ephesians, so non-Jewish Christians who had been taught 
that they were inferior to Jewish Christians, that they weren't a full part of God's family because they weren't Jewish by birth, God's chosen people. So this letter was actually written to these people, these Christians, who didn't feel like they were Christians. And it's reminding them, these Christians, of what their father says about them. So talk about relevance to, to the struggle of not feeling like a Christian. It fits perfectly. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to read the longest section of Scripture here right at the top. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, by our sinfulness, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And then two very powerful transitional words, but God. We were under God's wrath, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That's what we just sang about in the song, Raised to Life. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And let me stop there and remind us all of something that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. We don't have a badness problem. We have a death problem, that because of our sin, we are dead, but through Jesus, we can have spiritual life. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example, examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when, everyone help me out and say when, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Isn't that an amazing passage of scripture? It's amazing. So my faith is not based on how I feel, but what the father says about me. And if I could sum up those nine verses there into three words that Jesus, I think, the father is speaking to me personally and to you, if you believe, is this, you are mine. You are mine. That God loved me so much and God loved you so much that he sent Jesus. He came as a human being to die in our place. And the reason he did that is all of us have sinned. We read that in the passage that all of us either are living in sin apart from God, or we have lived in sin apart from God, for sin separates us from God. And because of our sinfulness, we are subject to God's anger and God's wrath, but God is so rich in mercy. 
He, he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, even though we deserved to pay the eternal price for our sins, he gave us life pouring out his wrath upon Jesus instead of upon me. Come on so that I can be saved. And when do I receive salvation? When I put my faith in Jesus. Paul said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. So I wasn't saved by a feeling. I was saved by my father, listen, when he counted the death of Jesus in my place. So, is there, is there a feeling when you get saved? I think there is, absolutely. Like that, that feeling of having the weight of sin, you know what I'm talking about, some of you, lifted off of your soul, the feeling of the, the love and grace and mercy of the Father is, is amazing. But just like your wedding day, you don't always have that feeling. You don't always feel like you are saved. So what do you do? You got to go back to what the father says. And this is what the father says. He says, you are mine. I bought you with a price. That's what Paul also said. Paul wrote Ephesians. He writes here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He says this, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. You're mine. You're mine, God says. That my faith's not based on how I feel, thank goodness. It's based on what the Father says about me. And he says, Jeff, regardless of how you feel, because your faith is in me, you are mine. I bought you. I paid a great price for you. You belong to me. Then Paul says this, Ephesians 2 the first part of verse 10, he says this, for we are God's masterpiece. So the second thing that the father says to us to overcome our feelings is this, you are a masterpiece. You're, you're a masterpiece. And when I say that, I'm not talking about what most of us guys say to ourselves when we look in the mirror. That's not what I'm talking about. And whether you'll admit it or not, guys, it is rooted in our DNA that whether you got muscles or not, when you're alone in the bathroom, you flex in the mirror. Every guy does it. I don't care if you admit it or not. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? And I'm talking about more than what I call snowflake theology, okay? This is, snowflake theology is true. It's a true thing. But I'm going to go beyond that. Here's, here's snowflake theology. Snowflake theology says... Out of all the people in the world, there's only one you that you're like a snowflake, right? I hear Olaf's voice when I say that, just so you know. <laughs> and if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. And just like no one snowflake is alike, no one person is alike. And you might find someone that looks a lot like you. For instance, I am a twin. Here's a picture of my brother and I together. If you didn't know us, it'd be hard to tell us apart. There's a few hints in the picture on which one's which. But like we look a lot alike, right? But we are completely different. Like I'm way cooler than he is. 
But it's true. We look identical, but we are unique, right? So, so a couple years ago, I, I was talking with our daughter, Jada. She's 10 now. She's our youngest. She was, I don't know, maybe five or six years old, and we were having this awesome daddy-daughter moment. I felt like I was conveying some truth into her heart, you know, building her up. I wanted to, I wanted to, wanted to teach my girls that they are unique. They're a masterpiece. God made them exactly how he wants them. It's one of my goals. And so I was kind of telling Jada how unique she was. And I got down on her level and we were, you know, I was looking in her eyes. You could hear the background music play. And it was one of those moments, I thought. And I was like, Jada, did you know there's only one Jada in the whole world? She's like, no, there's not. And I looked at her and she said, I've met other Jada's dad. So it didn't happen as good as I thought. So here's the typical passage we go to when we talk about the uniqueness of who we are. This is a great passage, okay? But I want us to see something deeper that I really saw for the very first time. It was so encouraging to me as I go through this struggle and preparing for this message. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. The writer here speaking to God says this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Although, God, you could have made women a little less complex. That's all I'm saying. Your workmanship is marvelous. Be careful if you say amen, okay? Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Isn't that awesome? So a couple things here. As I said, so often we focus on the first part of that passage to teach the snowflake theology, that God makes us unique and special and different. He knit us together in our mother's womb. All of that is true. But the most powerful part to me is not that God saw me before I was born. It's not that he knit me together in my mother's womb. The most powerful part for me in that passage as it relates to this struggle is every day of my life has already been seen by God. Every moment recorded in a book Every breath he knows about and that he thinks about me. So many thoughts, they can't even be counted. So here's what that means to me. On those days where I feel least like a Christian, those moments where I feel furthest from God, the days where I feel like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God already saw that day. He knew that it was coming. He recorded it in a book. It did not surprise him or throw him for a loop. In fact, he was right there waiting for me on that day to feel furthest from him so he could say to me, but Jeff, you are my masterpiece. I would never leave you alone. You're too valuable to me. I have so many thoughts about you. You can't even count them. And not only does he do that for me, 
He does it for you and every single person on the planet. It blows my mind how intimate our Father is with us. Then you have the phrase, when I wake up, you're still with me. Have you ever had a time where you went to bed at night after a horrible day wondering if God was even there? You don't feel like a Christian, but when you wake up, he's right there with you. Parents, ever had one of those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night and two little eyes are staring at you? <laughs> ah! Oh, okay, it's you. Ever have that? That's kind of how I picture God, except without the whole freaking out thing. Or maybe, maybe a better, better analogy. If you're a parent, you've done this. Have you ever gone, have you ever gone into the, to the room of your children or grandparents? You've probably done this as well with your grandchildren. You go into their room at night and they're laying in their crib or their bed and you just watch their chest or their back go up and down. And you just stand there and you marvel at the fact that God trusted you with this masterpiece. That somehow you and the, the other person who helped you make that child, you created this, this treasure. You marvel at it. And then you beg God, please let them be this quiet tomorrow. <laughs> can, I, can I get a witness? That's kind of how I view God. That, that we have to sleep, right? We're forced to. It's part of the way God made us. But the Bible tells us God never sleeps, nor does he slumber. And so I kind of picture God, when we lay our head down on the pillow, regardless of how we feel, regardless of the day we had, I just picture God waiting there by our bed, marveling at who we are in him. That humanity is his crowning creation. And I picture him just waiting for us to wake up so that he can say, I'm still with you. You're my masterpiece. I would never leave you alone. You're far too valuable to me. I'm still with you. My faith's not based on how I feel. It's based on what the father says. So what do you say? He says, you're mine. I bought you. You're a masterpiece. I spent too much time creating the uniqueness of you to leave you alone. I'm right there. I'm right there. And then in the last part of Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So the third thing the Father says that helps us when we aren't feeling like a Christian is this. You are made to do good works. You're made to do good works. Now, please, please do not hear this. Do not misconstrue this into a works-based salvation. I am not saying that by doing good works, I will be saved. I am saying that because I've been saved, God has made me to do good works. Amen? And by the way, I didn't say this. I just read what God spoke through the Apostle Paul, that we were made to do good things that he planned for us long ago. I actually think, this is my opinion, but I think in the moments where I least feel like a Christian, 
Those are the times I need the most just to start acting like one. Just to do the things I know that God wants me to do. I have found that on the mornings where I least feel like reading my Bible, the mornings where I least feel like spending time with God, the mornings where I least feel like going to church or feel like worshiping God, that if I will just do it, if I just get into the word and listen to what he says, if I just hear his voice, if I just worship regardless, if I choose to come into his house, if I just do it, the feeling starts to come back. When we feel like we're distant from God, the reason he allows us to feel distant is to cause us to run back to him. Sadly though, a lot of times as Christians, we feel distant, so we run away. The enemy steps in, devours our faith. So if you don't feel like you're a Christian, maybe you just need to press in to the presence of Jesus. I think it's in doing work for God that God begins to do a new work in me. This is scriptural, by the way. If you have a, a Bible with red letters where Jesus teaches or speaks, in the book of Revelation chapter two, verses four and five, there's red letters here. So Jesus is speaking to the Christians in Ephesus. So the same people that we read about in Ephesians, Jesus is speaking to them and he says this, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. I can't tell you, by the way, how many married couples I have advised. If you want to feel the way you did when you first fell in love, go back and do the things that caused that. This is not a marriage sermon, but a married couple needs that today. Same is true in our faith. If the feeling isn't there, perhaps it should go back and do something that can help lead to those feelings. My faith's not based on how I feel, but what the Father says. And he says, you're mine. I bought you with the price. And listen, whether you believe in Jesus or not, the price has still been paid for you. Jesus died for you whether you would believe it or not. His, his, his death only counts in your place if you put your faith in Jesus. You're a masterpiece, God says. And listen, whether you believe in God or not, God still formed you in your mother's womb and spent an intricate amount of detail creating you. And he says to you, you're a masterpiece. Whether you believe in me or not, I love you and I am there waiting for you. That's what he says. And lastly, he says, you're made to do good works. I didn't create you special and unique just to set you on a shelf. I made you to be my expression of my presence in the world. So go out and do what I created you to do. And listen, you, you, there might need to be some confession between you and God. I'm not saying that we've never actually sinned to cause the separation, okay? Just like a relationship, maybe you feel distant from God because you've caused something to come between you and him that this marriage analogy is perfect or, or a relationship analogy. Because there are times in a relationship, you, you come to the person you love, you say, hey man, things don't feel right between us. Is everything cool? Like, did I do something? 
to, to offend you? Do I need to do something to draw us close together again? You might need to say the same thing to God. God, I, I feel distant. So did I do something? Is there sin that needs dealt with? Do I need to do something to, to draw, lean into your presence? I don't know what it is, but you might need to ask God what that is. So here, let me, let me close with this. I want to ask all of us this question. Do you believe? Do you believe? I love what Pastor Louis Giglio said. He was do, preaching a sermon on, on faith, and he said people will often ask him, how do you know you're a Christian? He says, my answer is the same every time. I know because I put my faith in Jesus. He said, almost every time they'll ask me, well, when did you do that? And here's his response, right now. Right now, I believe. Right now, I have faith. So faith's more than a one-time moment when I was five years old and walked down the aisle of a camp meeting in a tabernacle in Colorado. That's where I first put my faith in Jesus. My faith is a current faith. It's yours. Do you believe? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just, I want you just to reflect. And if you're a believer, you would say, I do believe in Jesus. I hope right now you are hearing the Father's voice. You are mine. You're a masterpiece. And you're made to do good works. I hope you're hearing that. But maybe you're here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus. You haven't even started to believe. And you want to. You want to believe in Jesus, to be raised to life in your spirit. I want to give you that chance right now to do that. So if you just pray silently in your heart between you and God, just pray these words. Father in heaven, I believe. I believe that Jesus is my sacrifice, so I put my faith in him. Forgive me of all my sins. I'm tired of living for myself. I repent of my old life. I'm turning to live for you. Lord, help me. Help me live for you. I'm made to do good works. I want to know that I'm yours. I want to know I'm your masterpiece. I want to do the good things you've created me to do. So I'm all yours. Believe in you. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, we had our, our Saturday service because of the games tonight. We had two people receive Christ. So I want to ask today, if you just prayed that prayer, would you do something very bold? Just lift up your hands. That's me, Pastor Jeff. I just asked Jesus to be my Savior. Anybody say that by lifting up your hand and leaving it up? Thank you. Praise God in the back there. Praise God right here. Amen. Praise God right there. Amen. Anybody else? Just lift your hand up and leave it. Yeah, it's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. I see you, buddy. Amen. Amen. Listen. It's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the hardest one you'll ever live. And so we've created a tool for you. If you'll stop by guest services, ask for a next steps devotional. We'll get one in your hand. We wrote it just for you. Help you take your next steps in Jesus. Mark that on your card, your connection card too, that you ask Jesus into your heart. Next week, by the way, uh, Lord willing, if everything goes to plan, next week's confession is this, that I have wanted to quit being a pastor on more than one occasion, even here at Element Church. So if you've ever wanted to throw in the towel or you know somebody who has, next week's going to be good for you. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus actually questioned whether he should throw in the towel. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. So I love you guys. Let me pray for you. Then please remain seated. Brendan's got just a few closing words for you. God, you're so good. Thanks, Lord, that these, this word to these Christians in Ephesus a couple thousand years ago, so relevant to us today. Lord, help us to know that by faith in you, we belong to you. 
We're a masterpiece and we're made to do good works in Jesus' name. Amen.